Hey everyone, welcome to Lady Overlander Radio. Tonight we're speaking with Steve Johnston of A Race Against Blindness. Stay tuned. Grab your favorite drink, whether it's a coffee, cocktail, or tea, and get ready. It's Ladies Night on Lady Overlander Radio. The Lady Overlander Radio Podcast is sponsored by Frontrunner Outfitters, Midland Radio, Go Treads, Sport Keg, CB Adventure Supply, Adventure Trail Outfitters, Overland Spices, and the Moore Expo. Hey, Arla. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, girl. Hey. How you been? Good. How you been? Good. I just wrapped up Teton Overland Show, and that was right after... Expo Mountain West, and then we have Big Iron this weekend. So, or next weekend, actually. Yeah, next weekend. Next weekend. So we're going to still be busy for a while. Yes. 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 So <sighs> the shows were all good, and um, actually, I taught a lot of different classes. One of which was road schooling, mm-hmm. and that's where I met Steve's family in the road schooling class, awesome. and I learned about their story. And our mutual friend, Tara, connected us. And so now we're going to talk to Steve about his family's story and what this Race Against Blindness is all about and kind of find out more information about another really cool thing they have going on, which is they're giving away this ginormous, beautiful, amazing van, which is super awesome. And they're doing so to raise funds to help combat their son, you know, he's dealing with blindness, going blind. So they're doing that to raise funds to try to get some clinical trials going to combat that, which I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do whatever we can to share their story and to learn more about their family. And so now I'm going to turn it over to you, Steve, and go ahead and give me a little bit of background on yourself and your son. Well, first off, thanks for having me. I've uh, been looking forward to this. Um, it was great to meet you guys at the Overland Expo. And it's just such a cool event with everything that's going on there with the classes and all the people and the connections. I just love the community. And everybody's been so welcoming and um, wanting to help with our situation and our story. So it's great to be here. And I really appreciate your guys' willingness to be a part of um, this cure that we're fighting for. So by background, um, I am a physician, I am a dad, and now I am a nonprofit founder. So my son is going blind due to a rare condition called retinitis pigmentosa. We found out about it a couple years ago. And after going through that grieving phase of getting a tough diagnosis like that, um, that pain kind of turned to action. And that's what led to founding a race against blindness. As the name implies, we are literally racing against time. We are racing to find a cure because with every passing day, he is losing more vision. So it's a slowly progressive disease, and um, he's expected to be legally blind by his teenage years, and he's currently nine years old, and he has pretty decent preserved vision right now. He does have some limitations um, because because of his vision already, but um we really feel that pressure to um you know make the most of all the time we have 
and to try to find that cure for him. And we are supporting an awesome clinical trial right now, so we can dig into all that later. But uh, that's kind of the quick um, update on who I am, what we're all about, and um, and uh, the diagnosis my son has. And so his diagnosis is actually kind of a, I don't think sub-diagnosis is the correct term, but a, a diagnosis based on another diagnosis he has. And so what was he born with? Yeah, so you're right. It is um, a, a difficult uh way to categorize things because the, his overall diagnosis that is affecting his eyes is called retinitis pigmentosa, but mm -hmm. retinitis pigmentosa as a disease has multiple different causes of it. Okay. Um, various genetic mutations can cause essentially the same clinical disease. Um, his genetic mutation is called bartet beetle syndrome. And his syndrome can actually affect multiple uh, different organ systems in the body. Sometimes they have uh, renal abnormalities, um, they can have um, abnormalities with their uh, hunger. Uh, their leptin receptor can be dysfunctional. So um, weight gain is a big issue for these kids. Um, my son was born with polydactyly, which is extra digits on his hands and feet. And that's one of the manifestations of this. So that was kind of our first sign that something was um, potentially wrong when he was born. We knew that he had that. And at the time, we didn't really find what else and anything else that was abnormal about him. He just seemed like a normal kid otherwise. And then it wasn't until a few years ago that we noticed the vision stuff and we got the, we got the diagnosis. But um, retinitis pigmentosa is one of the other manifestations of that part of beetle syndrome. So that's that that's his complex diagnosis and the way to categorize it, basically. Yeah. And the main reason I wanted to touch on that is because the potential of going blind is not the only thing that that he may have to face in his life. Correct. So I just wanted to give the audience a kind of overall picture of this kiddo has a lot of different things getting thrown at him in addition to potentially going blind. Yeah, he has a number of uh, potential challenges and that's why we've really taken to making sure he has the tools he needs to be successful, whether it's the mindset to, that he can overcome things, mm -hmm. um, the mental toughness that he can get through hard situations and hard challenges. And then that, that outlook on life of appreciating every day, enjoying everything, really making the most of uh, your experiences and your opportunities you have because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow and that's true for all of us i know that oh, yeah. better than anybody in my line of work I, I see terrible diagnoses accidents things every day and you never know what's coming so the the message to really seize life experience it and enjoy life is really important and i think the off-roading adventure van overland community probably appreciates that more than anyone because it's such an experience driven culture where everybody's wanting to go out and do things, see places and experience everything. And I think that that's really resonated with everybody that we've connected with in that community because they get it already. But mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's that, you know, what at what point in life do you really gravitate to that and, and take that on? Because sometimes it's not till, you know, you're like, oh, one day, one day, one day I'll do that. And, you know, my message is, you know, today, go do it today. Start living that life today. Find ways to incorporate that into your life if you can't fully commit to, you know, life on the road or doing something like that. I mean, just start experiencing your life, start, you know, checking those bucket list things off as often as you can and really appreciate every day. Absolutely. And I think that you're right. I think that a lot of us that are drawn to overlanding, off-roading, adventure travel, whatever, you know, label you want to put on it. I think a lot of us have either had, you know, past traumas that have happened or have kind of had those aha moments in life where, you realize that all the stuff that you have accumulated doesn't matter. It's the core things of spending time with family 
and getting out in nature and doing those things that are the really important aspects of life that we should all be embracing. And so how has your family started embracing that? And how have you guys incorporated overlanding or van lifing into that? Yeah. So um, like I said, there was that kind of process of grieving, accepting uh, the diagnosis and then deciding to take action by starting the nonprofit. Um, with that came the, we are going to experience life. And mm-hmm. so that's when we decided to hit the road um, this summer and go and give him as many epic experiences as we can, show him as many ex- you know, sights and sounds and immerse him in different cultures and different locations, um, fill his visual memory bank is kind of what we had you know, termed it as because you know, we want him, if he does lose his vision, if we can't find a cure and we can't halt this vision loss, we want him to have seen as many things as possible and has done as many things as possible. So one day uh, he will know what the Pacific Northwest looks like and he'll know what Hawaii looks like and he'll know what the Mountain West looks like and he'll know what Utah and the desert Southwest looks like. And he'll have all those, that broad range of experiences to pull from and um, hopefully just give him that, uh, that, you know, that memory bank. So we um, spent the entire summer van life. We uh, went out with a whole, family people. Um, and we had multiple vans all traveling together. It was like a van life caravan of, uh, you know, all of us kind of traveling and going to all these experiences, but we hit so many amazing places. It was just a truly special, epic experience once in a lifetime, um, type thing where we really just immersed ourselves in it. And we fell in love with that lifestyle and the traveling. And that's kind of what helped spawn this uh, fundraiser that we're doing as well. Absolutely. And what brought you guys to my road schooling class? Um, so when we were at Overland Expo, um, you know, doing the, uh, uh, you know, kind of promoing our fundraiser and trying to help uh, get, you know, get out in front of more people, um, we tried to split away and go to as many classes as possible because when we're new to this, like a lot of people, we're learning, mm-hmm. we're trying to, uh, you know, gain, gain as much information as possible. So any opportunity to learn and connect and get new new knowledge in the community was really high on our list. And so we saw you on the thing and that was, you know, we knew we wanted to get to that. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you guys coming. And, and I know we discussed, that's when I learned about your son's story and everything. And, you know, we discussed, you know, the, your guys' plan and purpose to try to get him to see as many things as possible And that's when I recommended doing kind of an audio journal to where potentially, you know, he could go back and listen to that and kind of see in his mind, you know, things down the road if he does happen to lose his eyesight. So I was just curious, have you guys thought about other than the audio journal, have you thought about different ways for him to kind of capture those memories or is he doing, you know, how is he doing that? I think that that's a great idea. I think the audio journal is a fantastic um, way to document that. I think journaling in general is really healthy for people and it's a good way to put down your thoughts and organize your mental space, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great idea and one I'd really like to try to start to do. Um, we actually gave him a camera this summer to so he could actually document uh, the things that he thought were important because it was interesting for us to learn what he cared about, you know, when we yeah. go see these places, you know, we're in the whole rainforest and there's all these big trees and all these textures. And, you know, it's just a really immersive environment with all the sights and sounds. And I might be really engaged by the little mossy stuff growing on the trees, but he was more into the big, grand, big, huge trees. And that was kind of the theme everywhere we went. The biggest tree that he could find, he'd always want to snap a picture of it. 
So we let him kind of start to document the things that he really thought was cool and special. And it gave us a way to learn what he was really caring about as well. Um, because, you know, kids, they don't communicate as well necessarily. If you ask them like, hey, what, what, how's your day? Or what did you like to do? And you know, you'll yeah. answer sometimes. You'll find yes. <laughs> But then you let them start taking pictures of things. And uh, that's their kind of way of like, you know, honing in the things that they're finding interesting. And it was really interesting for us to, you know, see that and learn from that. And then we could kind of tailor experiences accordingly to based on things that we noticed he was really into. So it was, it, that was something we did this summer. So um, we're, you know, as this evolves, we're just going to be kind of doing new things and seeing what needs to happen for where he's at in his stage of his disease and his understanding of it and how he's processing everything. So it's just that every day is a new kind of, we're just constantly reevaluating, re, you know, re-engaging the, you know, the way we're working with him on these things. Yeah. And you brought up a really good point. It's interesting. So we've traveled with our children for the last several years, and it's interesting to see things quote through their eyes, you know, seeing what things are important to them as you travel, not necessarily what you might think is important to see, you know, I might want to take them to Mount Rushmore or to, you know, a certain national park, but they may be in, engaged with the, you know, largest ball of string on the side of the road or the ball, you know, the big ball of yarn that, you know. So, I mean, it's just, it's interesting to me to see the things that they find important, the things that they remember, because they, their memories of our travels are nowhere near the same as mine, right. you know, and they'll say, mom, remember when we stayed at this specific place and saw this? And sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like, no, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing to see the different things that they retain and the memories that they hold dear and it, it's really cool that it's not necessarily what we would, as adults, would, you know, grab onto. Yeah, I, I there was definitely a lot of those moments where, A, just when you're traveling, the things that you happen across and that you find not by trying is really fun. So, like, mm -hmm. you get that with the kids where we were driving. It was like our literally first couple of days of traveling. We're leaving Arizona. We're heading up to the Pacific Northwest, and we drive by Area 51. And there's this little goofy thing on the side of the road with all these like alien murals and all this cool stuff. And the kids are all into it, you know? And so we like <laughs> didn't plan to see it. And we stopped and we find this cool little like alien exhibit on the side of the road by Area 51. And, you know, like they get all into it and it turns into a cool moment. And that's part of the spontaneity of traveling. You just don't mm -hmm. know what you're going to find or what you're going to see. And you're going to just, something happens and you find it and like, you got to just sit down and, and, and enjoy it. So that's, that's kind of the fun part of the traveling. Um, but then, you know, you start to see the things that the kids are really into, like, you know, we're up in Mount Rainier and, you know, the Rainier cherries on the side of the road that somebody mm. is selling, like, that's a huge hit that becomes a big thing. It's like, yeah, like, whatever the cherries, you know, but you know, you're in Mount Rainier and the kids like love the little food stands and like that became a big thing. So, um, yeah, it's all about that different, uh, you know, way of, uh, seeing things and we all have a different uh, experience as we go through all these different moments. Um, you know, the animals are certainly one of the big ones that the kids really latched onto everywhere we went, whether it was like the chipmunks or especially up in Glacier, man, we got like up close and personal with so many like cool animals, the bighorn sheep and foxes and everything. And, you know, that yes. we became very aware that the animals were like a big hit for the kids. So we were always seeking out wildlife. Um, and I think it's cool, but I, I really, you know, want to see like the big grand, you know, I want to get to a cool view and a cool overlook and see the grand escapes and they're not as into that. And that's totally fine. And that's part of the experience of traveling. And there's a bit of a balance there where as a parent, you still have that, you feel like you have that obligation to at least show them those things and let them see if they're into it or not. Because if you don't show it to them, then you'll never know if they are going to have that interest in it or not. 
um, and you want them to have at least seen it once or twice or a few different ways and, you know, let them have that memory. And then if that's not something that, that they grab onto later in life or currently, then, you know, then that's okay. But um, you want, you want to show them the things and let them, let them decide what they really are like, you know, into. I'm going to let Arla have an opportunity to ask you a question or two. Do you have something to ask Arla? Well, I mean, I feel, um, I don't really know how to word it. I'm just sitting there thinking while you guys are talking, like, hmm. Um, so with you being a physician, I mean, I don't know your background. It really isn't part of it or whatever. Do you feel that that's a, a benefit for your son since you're already a physician and understand probably a lot more than, say, Miss Your I would if we were in the same circumstance, I guess? You feel like you have, like, a little bit more of an upper hand because you have a better understanding uh, there's certainly uh, benefits and there's certainly drawbacks. As a physician, you obviously know the worst things that can happen and you you kind of go down that mental pathway of like, gosh, this is what this is how it could be. And you, you start to envision the worst. Um, but the place that's been the really the most helpful is in being effective in running the nonprofit. Um, mm -hmm. I've had a lot of success being a facilitator and mm -hmm. being a liaison between the medical community and the patient community of this and you know when you run a nonprofit, obviously fundraising and all that kind of stuff is important but one of the things that i really didn't appreciate early on was you know as an advocate for a rare disease that nobody's really fighting for is it's on you to really go get the pieces in place to make sure this thing happens so we you know we partnered with this biotech company who's been developing this therapy for a while but they're based in the uk so how do we bring that UK treatment to here to the US? And so I started networking with you know my physician communities, trying to see how can I get this here to the US to do a clinical trial. And I you know I can't give all the details yet because it's going through the uh, this uh, approval process at at the health network that we've been working with. But the the, the short version is that I was able to find a researcher, a, a clinical physician in ophthalmology who um, has an interest in this and her institution uh you know she's going to try to bring the clinical trial to her institution here in the u.s and be kind of the u.s cl clinical site for this uh trial that we're going to try to run and it's a major institution and it'll be a huge uh victory for us as a nonprofit in, in advancing this clinical trial and making sure it happens here in the u.s and we we get things moving forward and without that kind of advocacy and pushing the thing along it wouldn't have happened and being a physician, being able to use those connections to find all that has been really helpful in terms of um, getting the people in place and having those doors kind of opened for me. Uh, that might have been harder if somebody wasn't in the medical community because, you know, just all the complex lingo and everything, really understanding the, the nuances of how all this works has been super helpful in making that happen. And I'm grateful that I've been able to be on both sides of the, the fence for that. And then as this clinical trial progresses, I'll be able to be a patient advocate and help patients along with, you know, getting in the trial and helping answer their questions and be a support resource for them. Like, I totally understand what they're going through. And I, I get it as much as anyone, because I have a son who's going through this. And I also understand the medical side. I can decompose some of that complex medical jargon and question that people are going to have about all this. And so I think that that's really the most important aspect of being the physician, but being the dad and all that, and kind of having that run right through the nonprofit. And that's what I think is going to make this successful in the end. 
Okay, so you're wearing a whole bunch of different hats, dad, physician, nonprofit, CEO and organizer and all of that stuff. How do you take care of yourself and your own mental health through all of this and physical health? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, you know, if you've looked at my Instagram um, at all, um, I'm unfortunately developing a bit of a, a theme on there of a lot of videos of me crying. And that's something I've just accepted and embraced. And, um, you know, as a man and as a dad and all that kind of stuff, it's hard to go to that place of vulnerability and all that. But um, I hurt and I feel just like anyone else. And I've tried to be open and um, honest with all that. And it's not easy. There are those hard days where, you know, you no matter what you're doing, um, you, you're struggling and you're hurting and you're feeling the pain of all this. And then there's days where, you know, you feel more positive and outlook. Um, but it, I'd be lying if I was saying like I was handling this great and I was totally understanding everything that's happening to me and my son. And I, it just isn't that way. And I, I think pretending that that's not true would be disingenuous to everyone yeah. and, and to my son, you know, like I try to not break down in front of them too much and go through all that. But like, you know, our feelings are real and we have to feel our feelings to process them. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's very hard to go through something like this. I also try to reframe what I'm feeling. And I try to remember, you know, there are always people who are going through something harder and that always helps kind of reframe my situation. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, like I'm training for like, you know, I do, I've been doing, I did a half Ironman earlier this year and it's like, you know, I'm training for it. I'm like, you know, Navy SEALs have it much harder. You know, these veterans who've gone to war have it much harder. People with these horrible diagnoses have it much, much harder than what I'm going through. So this is something that's doable. I can get through this. So reframing mm -hmm. kind of where I'm at and what I'm experiencing does help reground me and reset me that, you know, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is a tough diagnosis, but there is, you know, there's just people that have it harder and I'm grateful um for the health and the things that we do have and we try to focus on those things and that's kind of how you get through those hard moments is just being grateful for what you do have and not focusing on what you don't or what the what the negative is and i do agree with you that there are you know a lot of people that have things harder but you know at the same time it doesn't diminish the struggle that your family is enduring right now as well you know and how does your son um cope with all of this how is his kind of outlook on everything so he processes things um, in his uh, time. He processes mm -hmm. a little bit slower. So right when we first started to kind of tell him, like at first we didn't really know how to tell him, like, what do we tell him? Um, what do you tell a, you know, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, like about their vision loss and going blind? Um, yeah. how, do, how do you do that? And, and there's no right or wrong answer. We decided at the end of the day, like, it's just what we think feels best. Um, and so we tried to start telling him all that. And at first he was, it was kind of just, it went by him almost, you know, like it's just too much for a kid that age to process and to really understand what blindness means or losing your vision. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that that's something that a kid can handle as well, but, um, yeah. Then there were moments along the way where time goes by and things pass and then, you know, he'll say something or do something and you realize he he's aware and he knows what's going on and he's processing all this and he is, um, he is going through this. And the moment that was probably the hardest for me when I really realized it is that um, we got asked to do a TV interview and it was the first time he had kind of come on camera with us. I've kind of 
try to keep him out of all this as much as possible, at least in these type of kind of harder conversations. Right. And, you know, we're, you know, he seemed to be handling everything really well. So we're like, okay, yeah, he can come on the, you know, the interview with us. And I started talking about all this, just like we are now. And, you know, he started to cry right on camera, right on the air. And it was heartbreaking. I was mortified and I was questioning everything in terms of what am I doing? Was that the right thing? Is there something else I should have done? Um, it was, and it was really the first time I saw him feel it that deeply and really experience. And I realized like, okay, he gets this, he, he knows what's going on and he, he doesn't show it a lot and he's a tough kid, but he, he knows what's going on and, and this affects him and this hurts him. And the, the good that came from that moment was we were doing it for this fundraiser where his friends back home here were doing a lemonade stand. And that's why they brought us on the news to do this, uh, you know, interview with it to help, you know, get the word out about the lemonade stand. And it ended up raising $10,000. And it was this amazing event where these, you know, young kids ran, ran a lemonade stand and raised so much money. And then when they did the follow-up story and they put that on the news and showed what the fundraiser did and what good came from it, Luke was watching, he was just beaming, you know, smiling yeah. here and you're seeing his friends do that for him. And, you know, so it was a hard moment and it, but at least it came full circle to see like, okay, good came from it. And so like these hard moments that we go through, like there is good that can come from these. And um, you see the positive that can come from putting yourself out there and putting yourself in these tough situations. Cause it's not easy to go out there and share your story in front of the world and be vulnerable and show your, what you're going through. Um, but those yeah. moments make it worthwhile. And um, yeah, it's, uh, but he's, He's a tough kid at the end of the day, and I'm proud of him every day for who he is and how he handles all this. And he sounds like he's, you know, had to grow up a little bit faster than he probably wanted to, you know, and kind of deal with, you know, these things that are coming down the road, um, no matter how slow or fast they're approaching, you know, and that's a lot. That's a lot for any kid to handle. And I know that, you know, other people that I've talked to about your story, as soon as you mention you know, that it's a nine-year-old kid dealing with this. We're all thinking, wow, I have a child or I have children. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah cool. No, I mean, that's the, that's the reality that you, you know, you face as a parent and you, you always want the best for your kids and you want them to be happy and healthy. And um, he has had to grow up a little bit faster, or at least it's, I, the thing I worry is that some of the fun for him could get taken away from his childhood, knowing that this is in the back of his mind. Um, and I don't want that for him. I still want him to have a normal childhood where he enjoys things and he experiences things like a kid. And so we've tried to really keep a high level of normalcy in life and doing the same things that he had been doing and doing all the things he enjoys. And um, so I try to make sure there's that good balance. And I do really try to keep as much of this out of his daily you know, mindset and daily forefront of what he's going through. I literally live this every single day. I wake up, I work right. on this nonprofit every single day. It's like the biggest, it's like the thing I think about when I wake up, it's the thing I am thinking about when I go to bed and it occupies my thoughts throughout the day. Like, so this has consumed me. Um, and I'm trying to turn that into action so that we can be successful for him and, 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 and make it not consume him someday. Um, but, you know, I've tried to really keep that out of, you know, his daily life as much as I can, just so he can be a normal kid and he can experience life. Absolutely. So what do, um, what steps are you guys currently at in the clinical trial process? What do you have to do with like, for say the, um, for instance, the federal government and how to, 
how do you, what's like the overall process of a Is clinical trial? Or, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's painstaking. That's <laughs> the first, uh, as you can imagine, any the word, time you say federal government, uh, it gets complicated real quick. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of hoops. Um, you know, when you're dealing with the FDA, there's just multiple different steps and meetings to get the approval process to even start the clinical trial where they make you show all this, uh, you know, pre-human clinical trial data with the mouse models and safety and um, mm -hmm. a lot of hoops to jump through. And then honestly, the funding is probably the biggest hurdle with, with a rare disease like this because, you know, we need about 15 million dollars to get through phase one phase two clinical trials which is obviously a lot of money there's no doubt about it but when you compare that to like other drugs and therapies and things that go through um clinical trials it's honestly a drop in the bucket it's a decimal place for a lot of these cl clinical trials that take place and big pharmaceutical companies they fund these hundred million you know a couple hundred million dollar trials like it's nothing sometimes um so 15 million would be nothing to them that that, that would be a very small number but there's also not any money in it for them. Um, there's just not enough patients um, and something like this where it's a one-time treatment and then there can be a cure and you don't have to have like recurring treatments or a daily drug to take or anything like that. Um, it's, you know, kind of one and done and that doesn't fit the model of what, you know, makes big pharmaceutical companies a lot of money. So it doesn't get funded by those type of companies, unfortunately. So it's really grassroots. It's these, you know, small, you know, nonprofits and people coming together and, I've said this a million times, man. If we had 15 million people that put in one dollar, we'd be on we'd be on the way. Um, but the the challenge is a reaching 15 million people. It's it's harder than it sounds, and b then getting 15 15 million people to care. Um, yeah. And so that's hard. Um, and so that's that's the real challenge. But you know we can we can make our way through the the, the hurdles with the government and all that kind of stuff. But the fundraising is really the biggest biggest challenge. Um, and, uh, that's what I'm fighting for every day. And so this is kind of a good segue into talking about the van that you guys have and that fundraising effort that you're doing with that. So why don't you go ahead and tell everybody about that fundraising effort? Yeah. So obviously we hit the road van lifestyle this summer to give Luke as many experiences as possible. And for all of us to become immersed in um you know van life travel adventure travel and we wanted to kind of share that with people and we decided to do our fundraiser around doing a van giveaway you've probably seen some van giveaways or jeep giveaways and things like that as fundraisers in the past so it's kind of that model where you know we're doing a giveaway where the winner gets to win a um, amazing thing but ours is a little different than some of the other ones you might have seen in that we know how unique everybody's needs are with van life and adventure vans and all that kind of stuff and we didn't want to just pick a van for somebody to win so we decided to do a van build giveaway where somebody literally gets to build their own custom adventure van when they win so they can customize the look the feel the function the sleeping arrangement, the colors, uh, the whole nine yards. You can really make it something that's suited to how you're going to use it, whether you're, you have no kids and it's just like you and a, you know, a significant other traveling, or you had four kids and you're trying to smash a bunch of people into this van and go make some <laughs> epic memories, or you're a full-time van um, wiper, or you're a weekend warrior, <laughs> yeah. you know, everybody's going to need something different. And that's what we wanted to really, uh, we didn't want to pre determine that for somebody. So we wanted to let somebody really, 
uh, pick how they're going to use this and make make their best memories in just like we've been able to make our memories with our van life and so that's the fundraiser where like you enter to win and then you will get the opportunity to literally custom design this amazing adventure van suited to your needs so it's i think it's really uh unique it's a cool way for us to give back to our supporters and um you know kind of you know have something that's uh in it for our community and then at the same time help us raise the money that we need to fund this uh clinical trial and get a cure for thousands of children who are losing vision just like luke well i can tell you lady overlander radio has entered nice. and we have also put the link to enter on our bio on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And we'll also be sharing this when this airs as part of this post and on our Facebook. So we will definitely try to get the word out as much as possible. Uh, we're able to share links on Spotify and Apple podcasts, I believe as well. So it, yes. as many places as we can share the link, we will be doing so. Yeah, we appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, that, that that's the most important thing for us at this stage of being kind of a a new nonprofit, a rare disease, and really out there trying to fight and advocate for this is, you know, getting it out there, getting in front of as many people as we can and, and spreading the word. Um, you know, the internet and social media is so special in that sense that, that you can reach so many people, but it is a it is hard to actually do it. If, if anyone who's spent any time on social media uh, growing and getting found and all that kind of stuff with the algorithms, it's really hard. So it's it's genuinely appreciated and means a lot to us when people are willing to help and um, kind of just step up and be a part of it. I mean, I, I think it's what we're doing is unique at a higher level in the sense of like, if you're supporting a lot of other diseases, like you want to cure cancer or something, um, you may never see the fruits of your labor in terms of your donations or what you're doing. It could be it's such a complex disease and it could take decades or centuries even to cure something like that. And with this, when you support it, you could literally see this in a, in a clinical trial in the next 12 to 18 months, if we get all the fundraising together. And then within a couple of years, like you could literally say like, I helped save children's eyesight. Like that's pretty unique when you donate to something. And then like just a few years later, like here it is, this is, this has happened. And we have saved these kids eyesight. That's super special in the, in the kind of nonprofit world, the clinical trial world. Um, because this is already so far along, we just need to push it across the finish line and get it there. So it's it's really unique. Yeah, and I was looking up a few statistics on uh, retinitis pigmentosa, and I I guess that by the time most kids are eighteen, about they about fifty percent of them have lost their their vision or are considered legally blind. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So each cause of RP has kind of a different uh, progression and timeline. Some are much more severe and like some kids are already kind of like blind by Luke's age. Mm -hmm. Others save their vision a little bit longer into like their 20s. Um, but yeah, that average falls in that teenage range. You're legally blind, which is I mean, that's that's heartbreaking as a parent to think about, you know, because loss loss is one of the hardest things to process. Right. You know, like when you've had something and had it taken away. Yeah. Um, and that's all these kids experiences. They've had vision. They've seen and done all the things that they love and whatever those hobbies are, whether it's riding bikes or Pokemon cards or traveling and hiking and camping, fishing, um, all the things that Luke loves. He's had it that he's had that and he's experienced it. And he's been through that. And then the thought that that could be taken away and not be able to experience them the same way. Sure. He can adapt and overcome and still do some of those things in different ways, but the way he knows and loves it right now could be taken away if we do nothing. And that's 
that's that heartbreaking part as a parent and as somebody kind of watching this happen. And that's why I couldn't sit by and let this happen. Cause that was what it was. That's what was told to me when I got the diagnosis is this is going to happen and there's nothing you can do about this. And then I was like, man, that, that doesn't sit well with me. It's, I'm not, no, okay with that. that's I'm not the wrong, answer. That yes, is the wrong answer. answer. Um, so, you know, so that loss is something that I do not want him to go through. I do not want any other kids to have to go through. And um, that's why we're, that's why we're fighting this. So. Yeah. My, my son was diagnosed with autism at 15 months old and at the time, they told us they didn't know, you know, what therapies he would need, how he was going to be able to interact with society and function and all of those things. And so, you know, I've been that parent where you get this diagnosis kind of bombshell dropped on you. And the first thing you want to do is curl up in a ball and cry. And then the second thing you want to do is fight like hell to figure out a different way. Well, um, I know where you're coming from, unfortunately. I feel what you're feeling right now. I can hear that in your voice of what you're experiencing. And I'm, I'm sorry you felt that, but I, I know you, I know you fought for him and done the best you can. And it's, um, you know, it's that, that's what you do as parents, right? Is like, you do that for your kids and you, you do whatever you can to give them the best, um, best possible outcome for them, whatever that is. So, um, absolutely. I, I know what you've, what you've done and that's amazing. Well, I think what you're doing is amazing. And, one, one question I would like to ask you is what has been Luke's best day traveling? Mm. What do you think one day that like really stuck out to you? Like he's having an amazing time right now. Uh, there's been a couple close uh, at the top, but I mean, so Luke's grandparents uh, are in the rock business. They sell gems and minerals, stuff like that. They, um, they have a lot of friends who do mineral collecting and fossils and all that kind of stuff. And so near the end of our trip, we went to Wyoming and we, we got to do a dinosaur dig, which was super cool. So we went uh, into Kemmerer and or Thermopolis and did this uh, mm -hmm. dinosaur dig. And then we went to Kemmerer, which is where one of um, Luke's grandparents, uh, you know, contacts has a, you know, fish fossil quarry. Mm. And he got to go up there and he uh, let them, you know, do the, the mining right there. Like we got to take these, you know, you know, chip away at like the sandstone and expose like the fish and you could see the fossils for, for the first time. And I mean, gosh, it was like, I mean, I was blown away by it. It was such a cool experience, but Luke was like, he did not want to, <laughs> stop, not want to leave. Um, yeah. It's just such a special day for him, such a special experience. Um, it was a shared experience. You know, he has a very close relationship with his papa, his grandpa. Um, so that was something for them to really bond over and do together. And uh, that was definitely his number one day. So that was that was big for him. And that was kind of near the end of the summer. And uh, we knew it was going to be a special day. But man, it was it was amazing. And I, I don't know if that video is up on YouTube for us yet. Uh, we did document the whole summer and we've been posting the YouTube videos. I don't know if that one's up yet. It should be soon. Um, but that one is definitely a special day. And um, yeah, it's it was really cool. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that one. For sure. And did you guys end up going to the hot springs in Thermopolis? Did you guys check those out? You know, we didn't. So we were, this was the the good and the bad of our summer is that we wanted to see and do as much as possible, but it was like a little bit aggressive on the travel plans and the travel. Yeah. So like we, we'd like, okay, we're going to be here for like two days and we're going to go do this, this, and this, and then we're going to go here and do this, this, and this. So like you'd hit a place and like you, you know, you go do the dinosaur dig and everything. And then, um, you next thing you know, um, 
you know, you find out all this other cool stuff in there and it was like, oh, you guys should go do this. You guys should go do this. And they're like, oh, we're leaving. Uh, so it's, um, you know, it, and, you know, I'm glad we squeezed everything in, but it would be really nice. We were talking about, you know, doing a prolonged trip again, um, maybe a year this time where we can really slow down and like, you know, take all the all the things in and really dig into it um what would every place have to offer but we heard about the hot springs but we did not get to go experience it unfortunately they're in a little rv park and, and they're okay um there's some better hot springs in wyoming as but they're they were okay um they're they're neat to go see if you haven't really encountered hot springs before but one of the cool things that we saw when we were in wyoming and i'll have to send you um information on where that is is there's actual dinosaur tracks, fossilized dinosaur tracks that we got to see. And it's near some petroglyphs and some other really cool things. So if you guys find yourselves back in Wyoming, we definitely, you know, need to keep in touch and I'll send you guys some really cool places to check out because that's one of my favorite states. I love Wyoming. Actually just came back from there a few days ago. Yeah. So I loved Wyoming too. And we would definitely love to go to that. There's a, there's an interesting story I'd like to tell about Thermopolis actually. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes I'm not a big, you know, fate person necessarily, but sometimes things happen where you're kind of like, man, this is too weird to not be fate. Um, so we're obviously on this trip trying to raise awareness and do all this stuff for Luke. And we're in the RV park in Thermopolis there. And, you know, we're in the van. It says like our you know name of our organization and cure childhood blindness and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, in my, you know, travel garb and, you know, I'm all disheveled and haven't shaved in a few days and like it's been raining and i'm just like in like a hoodie and looking all like just you know like, <laughs> Carol, Umbria, you know it's like an overlander yeah, yeah you look like an overlander yeah <laughs> you look like the rest of us do yeah. and so and it's early in the morning i'm just drinking my coffee working on my computer just trying to get some stuff done before everybody wakes up and this woman walks up and she's like hey so what are you guys doing here um and she starts asking about the organization and she's um she's like well my husband's actually in medicine um you know he he knows a lot about the stuff that you're you know that you're that the, the kind of stuff that you're talking about do you want to meet him i'm like oh, yeah of course i'd love to and yeah. so i go down there and like i'm looking like homeless here and like uh -huh. you know meet this guy I'm a doctor you know, too i swear <laughs> yeah he's like the dean of medicine at the university of pennsylvania and his institution is where the first um, treatment was uh, created for retinitis pigmentosis for a different cause, Lieber wow. congenital amaurosis, LCA. And he knew all about that clinical trial. He knew everything, of, all the little ins and outs and what they did. And he gave me his card. He's like, well, when you guys get back, you know, reach out and let me, let me see if I can help you guys in any way. And wow. sure enough, um, you know, I did. And he put, he connected me with a few researchers. And that was one of the important connections that actually came about of that. And um, I think UPenn is going to be, you know, helping us at least peripherally in this trial at some point. So we've we've had a few people there that are that are willing to help, and so that was one of those moments. You're just like, of all the places in the world to meet the dean of like this East Coast like amazing institution that already has cured this disease once, basically. I don't right. know. Wow. We were, it was like we were supposed to be in that place at that moment at that time uh, to make that connection. It's just it was just really special and really unique and. Kind of makes it gives me a little goosebumpy like thinking about it right now because it's like wow what the chances you know that's fantastic wow yeah so is the clinical trial is it so it, i i should rephrase that is the treatment 
a medication or a therapy or a surgery? What exactly is the proposed treatment for this? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that because I, uh, it's it's really important because it's a therapy. I guess is the best way to to call it. It's a gene therapy, okay. and it is based off of a treatment that's already been used once for a different cause that I just mentioned, LCA, Leber Congenital Amaurosis, um, and that was FDA approved uh, a handful of years ago. It's mm -hmm. called a, a viral vector, so there um, this virus kind of acts as the delivery device to take the missing gene into the cell. Um, so that's the kind of the vehicle for how the gene gets delivered. And then once it's delivered in the cell, that missing gene gets incorporated into our own DNA. And then your DNA can start functioning normally with that new, uh, you know, DNA uh, inserted into you know, the genome there. And it's a subretinal gene therapy. So they actually inject it right into the retina in this case. And it doesn't go anywhere else in the body. It just stays right in the retina there and the retinal cells pick up this missing gene that's causing the problem and then it allows the retina to either keep you know functioning preserve the function that it has or in some cases it could also restore some function um, that's been lost already um, and so it's a subretinal gene therapy so it's based off that same treatment and so what's happened with luke's cause of retinitis pigmentosa bardet beetle syndrome the the researchers have basically used that same delivery device the same viral vector and they've swapped out the, the missing gene that was used in LCA with the Bardet beetle gene that's missing. And so it's basically the same treatment. It's like very, you know, it's been researched, it's been studied, it's been proven that it works. It's just the gene is swapped out basically. So from like a scientific standpoint, like there's a really high confidence that this is going to work. It worked well in the animal models. It's already worked well once for another, um, you know, cause. The challenging part is that the FDA and all these other, you know, like the, the European version of the FDA, they see it as a whole new treatment. So they, they, they don't care that kind of the something's just been tweaked and changed, basically, that it's a whole new treatment. So it has to go through the whole clinical trial process again. There's not really any workaround to kind of speed it up, if you will, um, and simplify it. So, you know, it's uh, it still has to go through everything. You know, so the fundraising needs are still that of a full clinical trial and everything. So it's a little bit complicated in that sense, but it's a really well, you know, proven model already. So um, we're excited that that is the potential. So um, it's really it's really just a matter of getting it there and pushing it across the finish line so that we can get this into kids and you know start saving their vision right away. Fantastic. Well. I'm sorry that you have to go through all of the hoops all over again, but I think that, you know, what you guys are doing is just amazing. And I really, really, I'm, it's, it's a nice relief to hear that it has such a high potential for a success rate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's very motivating, certainly from, you know, where I'm at in my seat to, you know, palpably feel that and know that like there's a real hope because um, that can keep you going through some of those dark times like we talked about earlier. But it also is frustrating, too, at the same time. You're sitting there going, we just need the money. We just need to get this thing pushed along. And every day that goes by, we're losing more retinal cells. We're losing eyesight um, that could possibly never come back. And that's why, you, you know, the earlier you treat, the better. Um, so, you know, that's frustrating, right? Is that like, you're like, this is there. We can do this. We just need to, we need to get it there. Um, so, you know, like where, you know, we need like Jeff Bezos to come along and like save yeah. us, just write the check, but you know, like how do Elon, you- Elon, Jeff, one of you guys. Yeah, somebody, Taylor Swift. 
Yeah, chump change for you guys. Come on. Right. Yeah, it's nothing. They all watch our show. I'm sure of it. So, absolutely. Yeah. No, that that's the that that's the hurdle. It's just you know the fundraising, and that that's the challenge of every small rare disease and every nonprofit in the world. Is you know there's a thousand, there's a million great causes that anybody can support. So I'm not going to say anybody shouldn't support other causes because they're equally worth supporting. And they're all these there's all these causes that need help. Um, this is this is our cause. This is our plea, and that's why we're you know we're trying to. Um, a connect with um, you know, give back to people like let there you know be some something in it for them with this van fundraiser and um, you know and uh, just try to tell people our story honestly so they can see what we're going through and 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 whatever happens from that point uh, is what's going to happen and we're gonna you know we're just gonna keep trying our best every single day to make this thing happen have have you um, approached any news outlets to interview with any of them about this as well? Yeah. So, yeah. So early on, we uh, got on uh, some of the local news outlets here and we did like Fox News locally, ABC News locally. And that was, um, you know, helpful in getting that story out. And we've kind of been in a little bit of a holding pattern in terms of really being aggressive about mm -hmm. um, the, the news outlets, because we knew that this announcement is hopefully coming soon with this clinical trial where we can say who our clinical site partner is yet and where it's gonna be held. And, and with that kind of really clear picture of like, here's the therapy, here's where it's gonna be held in the US. This, yeah. is the, this is what it is. Like, this is exactly yeah. how it's gonna happen. If you give funds, this is how it's gonna be used. Um, so we've kind of been just like waiting to get that in place. And we should hopefully have that soon where we can announce that and really give people that full roadmap of exactly where this trial is gonna take place. It's a major institution, everybody's gonna be Everybody's going to have heard of it. There's not going to be a single person that hasn't heard of this institution. Um, but there's all these things you have to go through to make sure that it gets approved by the various levels of uh, you know, people at these institutions to prove using their name and you know using the, the plans. Um, and so we're pretty far along in that process. And so once we have that, we're going to try to hit it harder again with getting on bigger news outlets. Uh, we did end up on GMA Digital, which is uh, Good Morning America's website. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like the actual morning show, which is our mm -hmm. goal. We want to get on that. That's so what I was just thinking. thinking. Like that's yeah. that what I was trying to go. Yep. That's what we want at some point here is to be able to go on there and um, really tell our story and what we've done and, and the, this plans for a trial and, you know, giving everybody the opportunity to be a part of this cure um, and be able to say that they helped uh, save children's eyesight. So I think we're going to be on that push again soon to really uh, get out there on on some of those networks and see what we can do. Fantastic. Awesome. So has has Luke started any other kind of therapies or started learning Braille or anything, you know, in the in the unfortunate case that he doesn't, you know, get to have this therapy in time or what have you guys done for that for him so far? Yeah, so we actually had a IEP meeting at his school this morning, and we have those regularly throughout the year to make sure we're addressing, you know, his uh, unique needs in the classroom and the therapies that the school system can help offer. And so kind of uh, vision safety uh, preparation is one of the things that we've started to implement where you know, just kind of learning that, you know, how to safely interact with the environment in a low vision uh, situation. Mm -hmm. um, how to safely navigate. Like one of the stories that was told to me by another family with this condition is that, uh, you know, they didn't, they hadn't been doing a lot of that kind of 
safety measures. You know, the, the, the vision's declining, but you, you, know, you never really know like how they're doing. It's very hard to put yourself in that child's shoes and see what they're seeing and know really how, um, how that's affecting them. And um, I guess there was like a fire drill at the school and the lights went out and the kid was in an upper, uh, the, the top of the, the building and had to go down the stairs during this fire drill and everybody's moving kind of fast. And then he couldn't see because it was dark and he tripped and fell and like broke his wrist or something. And you know, that, that's, that's one of those scenarios where you're like, okay, we need to start preparing and be safe and secure with, you know, knowing that, you know, when this time comes that he can't safely, you know, interact with the environment anymore, you know, he can safely navigate his way around things like that. So they start doing some of that, that training um, now um, to, to, uh, to get him ready for that scenario. Um, Braille is a little bit complicated. Uh, there's a couple of schools of thought on that these days. Some people are still very much about learning all the Braille you can. Mm -hmm. Other people are more like maybe learn some of the necessary stuff, like, you know, at a bathroom, like, you know, men versus women and, all, you know, how to, you know, navigate, you know, key places. But there's so many assistive devices now with technology. It's and, true. Uh, yeah. You know, the iPads can read to you and there's like all these different things that can interact with your environments for you. And there's more and more stuff coming out all the time. I mean, I'm following some of these apps and services that are out there and it's just mind blowing, like what can be done now. And it's incredible. And it's in some sense, it's like, you know, very nice to know that that is out there and being developed more and more. Um, so Braille, I guess, is very hard to learn and it's very frustrating for, for people to learn. And so like, you have to kind of weigh that benefit of like, how much do you want to push that frustration on them? when maybe they're not gonna actually use it that much anyways with all these assistive devices that actually exist and just maybe teach them a key, couple key things that they need to know when they're out in the environment and you know how to you know, cross the uh, crosswalk safely or you know, go, go, go into a building, things like that. Um, and then just use those assistive devices the rest of the time potentially, you know? So I guess there's not really a right answer, but that's kind of more, I think where we're at on it is we want to use as much of his time in the education environment for, you know, mm -hmm. continuing to learn all the, you know, key stuff that he needs to learn um, just in the education system, learn as much academics as he can and not waste as much time just trying to, you know, figure out how to, you know, read with Braille if it's not going to be maybe his most used skill. I mean, you're correct. I mean, there's so much technology now and so many new innovative products that can assist people hard of hearing, people with vision issues, all of those things. And, you know, it makes me think about when you're at a crosswalk and you hear sometimes there's a voice that says, you know, walk or there's a beep, certain beep or tone. And I was just thinking that tonight, as my husband and I were coming back from dinner, we were at a crosswalk and it didn't make any noise at all. It just said mm -hmm. walk or don't walk. So, yeah. you know, there's still yeah. places that, you know, need to catch up with the times kind of, you know, and have yeah, that more adaptive, you know, accessibility for people. And the thing that scares me a little bit, um, you know, now, and I'm thinking about the same things now when I'm out there is um, the electric car thing scares me actually with like people with low vision is because like those very cars quiet. don't make any noise. Like they yeah, just, very you just hear like this like, yeah. hum, this, like whisper, like when a car is coming or starting or driving, like you hear a car coming, like a you know combustion engine makes noise. But, you know, a little Tesla, like you, you don't even hear it. Like, so that's that scares me a little bit with, you know, what the future holds in terms of being out in public safely and like, you know, autonomous driving and like, you mm -hmm. know, some bad stuff happened with that. And if people can't hear the cars coming and then a computer is driving it, that's a little bit 
you know, uneasy feeling as a parent thinking about those scenarios. But I mean, obviously, I can't, you know, control all those things. Um, but, you know, as I'm thinking about like, the things that he's going to need to learn if that happens is a little bit daunting and overwhelming. And that's, again, comes back to the motivation of like, let's prevent that scenario from ever happening. Let's not let that reality take place. Let's just get this thing cured. And then none of that matters. Um, so that's yep. the hope. Stay, stay ahead of the game and be proactive. And you guys are definitely doing that. Absolutely. So is Luke having any other um, health issues at all that, that you guys are having to address or is, are most other things kind of under control for the time being? Yeah. So I mentioned the, um, the weight issue for kids with Bardet beetle syndrome. So mm -hmm. it's really interesting. So the, the, the Bardet beetle protein, the, the gene encode, it's a ciliopathy and it's actually on the leptin receptor of all things. Um, and it causes leptin receptor dysfunction. So obesity is actually a very common thing for these kids. And there's actually a treatment that just was FDA approved for, patients with Bardet beetle syndrome, basically, it's called set melanotide. And um, it helps that leptin receptor, you know, function so that you can feel fullness. So that when the leptin receptor stops working, you literally don't feel full, you can eat a big meal, and then you still feel hungry. And so they, they don't have that negative feedback loop of, you know, they eat a meal, and they feel full. So we knew that fairly early on, once we got his diagnosis, and um, we're obviously very health focused and health conscious already. And, you know, we believe in exercising and eating great and all this kind of stuff. So we really were already on that pathway with the kids and wanting to keep them healthy. But then once we found that out about, you know, that that's part of his condition is uh, that inability to feel fullness, we really made that a big push in terms of, you know, trying to help them learn healthy habits and help him understand that, like, look, you're going to eat and you're not going to feel full and you just like need to accept that your body has gotten what it needs. Uh, so trying to teach a kid that is hard and, you know, you don't want them to like suffer either. Cause like the, the feeling of hunger all the time is not a good one, obviously. Like we, yeah. you know how everybody knows how it feels to be hangry. Right. And like, mm -hmm. so like, I don't want him to just feel hangry all the time. Especially um, Arla. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. um, but nope, yeah, that's not the snacks for me. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the hardest one for us is um, right now in front of us because we, you know, we want to, you know, try to help set him up to be as, you know, successful in his uh, weight and health and everything as we can. And so that's, you know, kind of a daily um, thing that we are always working on. And he, he, he doesn't feel full like that kid will eat. Um, and so, you know, he's, We've done a pretty good job keeping him at a at a healthy weight right now, but um, it's you know a daily pushback of you know that you know that cycle and that learning, and so it's just something we work on every day. Um, health wise, otherwise, you know he's in he's in good shape right now, and he doesn't have a luckily the kidney manifestation that these kids get sometimes is not as uh, prominent with him. His kidney function has always checked that normally, so that's really reassuring and that's good news. Um, but that's not always the case for kids with BDS. Um, some of them can have pretty severe renal failure, and that's a problem, obviously. Um, but yeah, there's if you look up Bardet Beetle syndrome and see all the things that it can affect, it's kind of a long list, actually, and it's a little bit overwhelming. Um, but luckily, right now, he's doing very well on most of those fronts. Yeah, I was looking it up, and there's you know hypertension, diabetes, the renal issues, like you said, you know a lot of different things that you know you wouldn't think they are necessarily related, like that would be under, you know, a sp specific disease or, or problem. But I was surprised to see all of the different things that it listed. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the nature of some of these genetic diseases where it's a gene is missing. And obviously genes are all throughout our affect multiple parts of our body. So one gene can be vital to multiple parts of the body. So his, the Bardet beetle, you know, gene encodes for a cilia. So a cilia is like a little like transporter type protein in the body and it so it can, it's in multiple places in the body. And so, you know, there's a lack of the transport of the pro, of a protein in the retina. And that's what causes the retinitis pigmentosa. In the leptin receptor, there's a lack of signaling with this transporter there that you know doesn't let the leptin receptor function normally. In the kidneys, it can be the same thing where there's, there's lack of this transport taking place. So the kidneys stop working normally. Um, even the fingers are affected by that. That's what causes the... the the extra digits at birth, there's like a, a something signaling that goes wrong in, in utero where you get an extra digit. Uh, so it's, it's amazing that, you know, this one gene can affect so many different things, but that's what it, uh, that's what it does. And certainly the one that I think a lot of people are most aware of is the, the, the retinal issues and the blindness mm -hmm. because it is so disabling, obviously. Um, so that's what, you know, this is very well known for, but um, it does affect a lot of different things. And you guys didn't have any clue that there was any kind of issues at all until he was born, correct? Yeah, no, he literally came out with the extra digits and I, I got in trouble. I, um, you know, he popped out and, you know, they take him over to little like, you know, area where they check him out right at birth and, you know, they're doing all their stuff. And I, in dad moment, I just go, what's that? And, you know, mom's over there and she can't see the baby. And, you know, she's like, what are you talking about? What's going on? What's going on? What's that? What, you, what what's, what are you, what are you talking about? That? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, what do I do? What do I say? And I like, I, so I go back over there and I tell her, I'm like, so Luke has extra digits on his hands and feet. And like, just had to like, matter of fact, like tell her, and you know, that's like, how do you accept that? Yeah. I mean, from a mom at birth is like, you get that news suddenly your baby pops out and that's the first thing you hear basically and you're just like whoa yeah. um so that was a moment that like you again you replay it in your mind like i wish i would have maybe done it differently or something but like you know you're, you i was just as stunned as you know she was but that's what came out of my mouth was what's that um and so that's how that happened and that's how we found out about it and then you know you literally immediately start researching you know polydactyly and extra digits and i already knew a lot of what that could mean as a physician. So I'm like, I'm going down the worst possible pathways in my mind, like right away, yeah. because it can, there are, there are some people that just are born with extra digits and they're totally normal. Otherwise they have nothing right. else wrong with them. And like, you can find celebrities who have had extra digits and it's no big deal, but there are also a lot of really severe conditions that have, you know, extra digits as one of the manifestations and they can have some really severe cardiac anomalies, like, life-threatening cardiac anomalies, really horrible things with like their bowel and other anomalies get associated with it. I mean, so, and their brain malfunctions, you know, malformations can happen with it. I mean, you name it, like it can go with extra digits. And I kind of knew that already, I, you know, so I'm like, oh my God, what else could be wrong? Like, does he have a heart defect? Does he have a brain defect? And all these different things. And I'm immediately just going down all these like scenarios and like, the, the first few months were just so hard because, you know, you're going and getting all these tests and getting the cardiac echoes and you're seeing geneticists mm -hmm. and you're trying to see if there's anything else that you can find that's wrong. And while you're waiting for all that to happen, you're just worrying and you're, you're gosh. Um, so, you know, it was a very hard, you know, first couple months of, you know, you know, of 
parenting, if you will, first child, you know, no, no experience parenting. And that's what you're kind of going through and um, luck. And then everything checked out at that time and there was nothing else we could find luckily. So we kind of settled down and be like, okay, this might just be all it is. Um, and then, you know, we later found out, you know, the, the vision stuff started to manifest and we, you know, obviously got this diagnosis when he was, you know, like seven or eight. So um, eventually we found out, but, you know, for a while, we just thought he might've just had extra digits, you know? Yeah. Well, you guys have a, a big fight ahead of you. I know you're kind of just at the beginning of all of it, but if there's anything that we can do at all to help facilitate fundraising or anything, we're willing to do it um, any way that we can. And, you know, everybody that's watching, donate that $1, donate $10, donate $5, whatever you can. I mean, every tiny little bit helps. Like you said, if 15 million people, not that necessarily that's how many people will be watching this, but if 15 million people donated $1, they'd already be where they need to be. So exactly. anything that, at all you guys can do would yeah, be. I, I think that that's the message. And I think that that's really cool at the end of the day of all this, when this happens and then when this gets done, assuming Jeff Bezos doesn't come along and save the day, I think it, it's going to be something that we can all be proud of. Like we can all say like people came together, they decided they cared about this. They decided to do something. They decided to make a difference and real people brought about this change. You know, I think that it's very easy in this world of, politics and everything to feel like you don't have a voice or feel mm -hmm. like you can't change anything. Your vote doesn't matter. Come, you know, election season, all this kind of stuff. Well, your vote matters here. Like you can come together and you can say like, I care about this and I want to make a difference and I'm going to make my voice heard and my voice count. And that, and that's cool. Um, and my analogy that I really like also is about music. You know, you go into a stadium, you know, 15,000 people. I love live music. I love the concerts, you know, people coming together and, doesn't matter what political background you're from, what your interests are, whatever, like everybody's there just singing, like everybody's on the same page and something. Um, but you know, you're in the concert and it's loud. You can't even hear what the person next to you is saying. It's just noise. And then that song comes on that one song that everybody knows and yeah. like, the whole stadium is singing. And like, suddenly you hear every single voice perfectly. It's like the, the lyrics are perfect. You can hear the whole stadium singing this one song. And it's the same thing with this. Like if, you know, 15 million people are all going in a different direction and you know, la, 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 la. nothing's going to happen. Nothing gets done, but 15 million people all come together to sing the same song. And it's, you know, it's crystal clear. It's loud as day. The message comes through and you can achieve this thing. So I think that that's really special about all this is, you know, this is a grassroots thing. These are, it's going to be done by real people at the end of the day. 100%, 100%. And we're hoping that we can play a small part in that for you. You're not playing a small part. You're playing a, big part like that's don't understate the, that importance like every person what they're doing is important if you're if you're helping and you're spreading the message if you're hitting that share button on social media just so your followers can see it like that mm -hmm. is amazingly important to the outcome of all this and i am blown away by the people that are willing to help and it's humbling every day and i appreciate you guys and everybody else who has helped in any single way at all it's just amazing and i Thank you from the bottom of my heart. So speaking of social media, why don't you go ahead and tell people how they can find you on social media, website, all the different social outlets. Yeah. So I'm obviously on Instagram. My handle is dad.first.blindness. And um, I was never on social media before all this. I, this is what brought me to social media is to tell my story and, and get this word out there. Um, 
and Luke's mom, Christina, is also on social media, mom.burst.blindness. And then we have the nonprofit page, A Race Against Blindness. And we're on Facebook as well. We uh, we try to get into TikTok. We're, you know, I'm not of that generation. I haven't quite uh, you know mastered that one yet. So you can probably find us there a little bit if you're really into TikTok. Um, we do have a YouTube page where we documented our summer and we made all these YouTube videos kind of documenting the travels and experiences we had, our van life experience. Um, and then certainly our website has a lot of information about the, the van giveaway. So that's a raceagainstblindness.org. You can learn about how to enter our van giveaway there. Like it, you know, for literally as $25, you can enter and have the chance to win this like $300,000 prize. It's amazing. Um, and you can learn about the clinical trial that we're supporting. You can learn about the disease. Um, if you're affected by this disease or you know somebody who is, like reach out to us and connect with us there and we'll help put you in touch with the resources that we have. And um, you know, so hopefully it's a good community um page that we're trying to build out more and more to to have that aspect of it as a nonprofit. Um, but those are the big places you can you can find us and um it's all self-run you know we're we're uh you know a mom and pop nonprofit, if you will we're you know we're running this ourselves and we're doing this ourselves and we don't take anything out of it um everything that comes into our nonprofit is going to go right to the research we have no salaries we have nothing um, which is unique. Um, once you learn about nonprofits, like sometimes that's not mm -hmm. the case and there can, you know, some of the bigger ones, especially like, you know, uh, I won't say names, but you can go research big national nonprofits and there's some big CEO salaries at those places. Mm -hmm. We don't do anything like yeah. that. So, yeah. Um, so we're, we're, everything that we take in is all towards this, uh, you know, uh, this goal. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to mention one thing though, if you enter, like, let's say you do the bottom one, the $25 entry, that gets you 10 entries. Correct. So yeah, $25, you might say, well, $25 per entry. No, you get 10 entries, 10 entries, 10 entries for $25. Mm -hmm. And there's more entries and more chances from there. They send you a link that you can share out as well. And you can get other more credit for more entries. Like it's a really, really awesome opportunity. I mean, especially if you're looking for a, a van that you want to build. I mean, what does it hurt you to, to take a minute and enter into this? You might win. You never know. Yeah, that's that was kind of my thought. I mean, like this, I wanted this to be really cool. I wanted this to be something that people are like, get something really cool out of that they can use and make their own memories with. And um, there is a cash component with the prize so that when you win it, you can actually keep it. Because a lot of times with these giveaways, like, you win this prize and then you can't actually afford it because you got to pay the taxes on it. And so people just end up selling yeah. their prize, which is unfortunate. Um, so we do have the cash component with it so that the taxes should be mostly covered. Um, mm -hmm. We can't obviously, you know, detail like what, you know, everybody's tax burden is going to be with all these things, but we try to make it so that essentially you don't have to pay any uh, taxes out of pocket on this. So you can literally just win your prize and, and use it and enjoy it. Um, and then you mentioned the affiliate type link. So like when you enter, you'll get your own unique link and you can share that with your friends and families or on your social media and you can earn more entries for sharing it if somebody else enters using your link. So rising tides raise all ships. So it'll get us more entries. It'll get you more entries and give you more opportunities to win. So um, it's just a good uh, way to help us spread the message if you can do that. So uh, we really tried to make this a cool thing for people and um, you know, it, it'll help us a lot and hopefully be really amazing for somebody who wins. 
Thank you so much for being on the show tonight, Steve. And thank you everybody who ends up watching this when we broadcast this. Yeah. And please, you know, we'll have the links all over our social media. You can also go to eraseagainstblindness.org and enter there. There's so many different ways you can enter into this contest and support this family. If you want to just make a donation and not enter into the contest, there's that option as well. So please do whatever you can because we want to give this kid every chance he's got he can possibly have. Thank so, you so much. Thank you guys. Have a great night. Thank you.